Well, good morning, everyone. It is so exciting to be here. Um, I, I think many of you know that this church holds a special place in, in my heart and in the heart of our family uh, because this church was kind of uh, the launching pad as I was an ordination candidate that was um, discerning a call to go into ministry. It was this church that, that nourished that call at its early stage. Uh, this is the church in which I preached the first sermon that I had ever preached in a church. Um, and, uh, and you all were willing to bear with me and encourage me and support me. And for that, I'm grateful. In fact, uh, many of you were here when I was ordained into ministry on these very steps. And so it's exciting to be here. It's a neat thing to be back. I don't know where the Lord uh, will call me next. I, I began here. I had a call at First Presbyterian Church of Visalia. Now I've been called to Calvin Crest Conferences, where I, I'm uh, currently serving. Who knows what will come next? But wherever I go for the rest of my life and ministry and whatever the Lord does through me, this church will have had a part in that. And that's something that's exciting for me. I hope that's something that's exciting for you as well. Our, uh, our scripture reading today, our New Testament scripture reading today is from the book of Ephesians, beginning in verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places." far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I don't know about you, but one of the things that makes Paul's letters difficult for me to read is his habit of sort of, um, maybe it's not too critical to say rambling on and on. The, the sentences keep going and they veer in different directions. So I just wanted to share with you as a, as a summary, what is Paul talking about in this passage? Paul is saying this, I'm praying for you, to the Ephesians, that God will give you understanding so that you will know his great power, which is for you. That power raised Jesus from the dead, and that power has put everything under Jesus' rule for the sake of his church. That's what Paul is saying in this. I don't know if you caught it. It's one sentence, <laughs> the whole, that whole passage. Actually, 
our translators did put a period somewhere, uh, but then they begin the next sentence with the word and, so I think that's cheating. Um, <clears throat> so Paul is saying, I'm praying for you that God will give you understanding so that you will know his great power, which is for you. That power raised Jesus from the dead, and that power has placed all things under Jesus' rule for the sake of his church. That's what I want to explore with you this morning. Now, Paul is writing to the Christians at Ephesus, the Ephesians, uh, as well as to other churches in the area, because this letter was designed to be passed around from church to church. And Paul is praying in this letter for people who are living in difficult times. The Ephesians are in a situation in which they're living under an empire that is increasingly hostile towards their Christian faith. Faith. They're living in politically in a climate in which they are in subjection to rulers who live far away and are culturally very different from them. They're living socially in a, in a, in a world in which the people around them are becoming more and more suspicious of the burgeoning Christian movement. And so the Christians in Ephesus are living in a context in which it seems like their whole existence is being defined by powers and forces that are outside of their control. I don't know if that sounds familiar to anyone today. I think a lot of us, at times, feel that same way. And the question that arises is, what do people living in such circumstances need? Paul is praying for those Ephesians, and so we can ask ourselves, what is it that Paul should be praying for them about? Now, you might think that what the Ephesians need is better circumstances. Maybe uh, what they need is less hostile neighbors or laws that protect them and protect the peace rather than making them vulnerable to those around them. Or what they need is an empire that is friendly towards Christianity rather than hostile towards it. They need to be in a better situation. Or you might think that what they need is a strong leader. The church in Ephesus was great as long as Paul was there, but now Paul is gone, and what they need is another Paul. They need another strong leader to come and be their pastor and lead them in the way of Christ. Or you might think at the very least what they need is inner fortitude, right? What they need is, is the ability to endure the struggles they're facing. But when Paul sits down to pray for the Ephesians, he doesn't pray for any of those things. What Paul prays for is knowledge. Listen again to verse 17 and 18. Paul says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. So for Paul, knowledge is the crucial thing that the Ephesians need. For Paul, knowledge is really the root issue. I think for most of us, if we think about our Christian lives, especially when we face challenges and when the going gets tough, our first impulse is not to say, you know what, what's really at issue here is some knowledge. What I really need is some knowledge at this moment. But that's what Paul prays for. I'm reminded of a passage in John chapter 17. Jesus is praying, and he, he, in that prayer, 
he tells us what eternal life is in words that are surprising, I think. Jesus says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life that they know. Knowledge is the crucial issue. But of course, the question is, well, what, do we, what does that mean to know? What kind of knowledge are we talking about? A few verses later in John chapter 17, Jesus prays, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So truth or knowledge is eternal life. Truth or knowledge is what sanctifies us, makes us holy, makes us more and more like Christ. In fact, that's what we just sang a moment ago, right? Open my eyes that I may see glimpses of truth thou hast for me. Open the eyes of my heart, just as we read here in Ephesians this morning. But again, as Pilate said to Jesus, what is truth, right? What, what are we talking about when we talk about truth or knowledge? I think in our contemporary world, our contemporary moment, we tend to think of, of truth or knowledge as correct information, right? Truth is what you find in an encyclopedia. In the world of astronomy, the truth is that the Earth is 93 million miles away from the sun. That, at least that's what I learned in elementary school. Right? That's truth. In uh, geometry, A squared plus B squared equals C squared. That's something to do with triangles. That's truth, right? Um, for all of you who are you know, into grammar, the, the truth is in grammar that two independent clauses are joined by a coordinating conjunction. Right there, that's the, the nod towards the, uh, the gram grammarians among us. Um, that's truth, correct information. But that's not what Jesus means by knowledge or truth. It's not correct information that is eternal life. It's not correct information that sanctifies us, that makes us holy. In Greek, the word for truth is aletheia. And, and that word means something like revealing, uncovering, disclosing something. I think about when Jesus says, I am the truth. Jesus is not saying, like, I have lots of correct information about God. I, that's true, but that's not what he's really saying, right? When Jesus says, I am the truth, he's saying, I reveal God. I, I think we use the word truth that way in a phrase that you might have heard, so-and-so uh, spoke truth into my life. Have you ever heard or maybe even used that phrase, spoke truth into my life? What does that mean? It, it means you're saying something correct, I suppose. But what it really means is that someone says something and suddenly everything is revealed. Everything comes to light in a different way. And that is the kind of thing that Paul is talking about here. Paul is not praying that the Ephesians will have more information added to their catalog you know, of theology or something like this. Paul is praying that they will have understanding, that there will be an encounter with a truth, that that spirit of revelation, that revealing will occur, that the curtain will be pulled back and they'll, become, they'll come face to face with the reality of things. I know that this church in the fall, you, with Pastor Ian, you went through the book of Revelation, right? And part of what Revelation is all about is what is the invisible reality that lies behind 
the visible chaos of things in our world. Paul wants to say that that invisible reality is the power of God, which is for us. Look at verse 19 with me. Paul is praying that the, uh, that the Ephesians will know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. Do you hear all the power words in there? Power, great, might. In, in the original Greek, there are four different words used for power in this one verse alone. Paul is trying to emphasize that God is a powerful, powerful God. The Ephesians and those others who were hearing this letter lived at a time in which there were many different competing claims for power. If you would have walked around the city of Ephesus, you would have seen dozens of altars and temples erected to different gods. If you would have gone into some of the houses of those who lived in and around Ephesus, you would have seen, there, seen thousands more gods who were being worshipped privately in individual houses. And so the Ephesians were living in a world that was defined by these different competing claims to power. Beyond the religious claims to power, there were also, um, the, of course, the power of the Roman Empire, which claimed to have absolute power over the life of those who lived within its borders. And, of course, the Ephesians were also living in a world that was defined by the powers of darkness. And uh, when Paul talks here in verse 21 about all rule and authority and power and dominion, these were the four categories of, uh, of the powers of darkness in Jewish theology. So uh, Paul's listeners here, readers of this book, would have instantly recognized that that is also part of the complex of powers, different claims to power that the Ephesians found themselves within. Now, we're not so far from the Ephesians in that respect either, are we? We live in a world in which there are many different competing claims to power. We live in an age of religious pluralism, where the claims of all different religions are supposed to have a kind of legitimate claim to power. We live at a time in which there are, are Christian groups that have leaders who are telling people that if you believe their beliefs and you join their groups, then you will have the power to grow prosperous or you will have the power to perform signs and wonders and, uh, and so on and so forth. We live at a time in which social movements promise that if you vote for their candidate and you vote for their policies, then those movements have the power to solve the basic problems of our human condition. You know, we even have our kind of own version of the powers of darkness. Just to give you one example, I think there are a lot of people today who are worried that the real powers pulling the strings in our life and in our society are shadowy corporations or shadowy political groups that are acting only out of their own interests. So we too live at a time in which there are many different competing claims for power. But in the midst of all of this, Paul says that this is the truth, that God is the greatest and, in fact, the only ultimate power. Furthermore, God has given that power to Jesus Christ so that Jesus is above all things. 
Paul really does not want us to miss this. I want you to look with me beginning at verse 20. Paul says that uh, the, the power was worked in Christ when God raised him from the dead and seated him at, the, at his right hand in the heavenly places, right? Then he continues, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as the head over all things. Paul does not want us to miss that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. The truth that Paul is praying that the Ephesians will understand is that the risen Jesus is head over everything that exists. What does it mean to be the head over everything that exists? It means to be the active and authoritative ruler. Paul is saying that Jesus Christ is the active and authoritative ruler over all of human history, for example, over every human being, over societies. Jesus is the head over the world of business, of healthcare, of sports, of schools and universities. Believe it or not, Jesus Christ is the head over social media, over cell phones and over the internet. Jesus is the head over governments, over political parties, over social movements. Jesus Christ is head of galaxies, and Jesus Christ is head of subatomic particles. Jesus Christ is the active and authoritative ruler of all things. But Paul doesn't stop there because the next question is this. What is Jesus up to? What is Jesus' agenda? What is is Jesus accomplishing as the active and authoritative ruler over all things? And Paul gives us the answer to that in verse 22. And God put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him his head over all things for the sake of his church. What Jesus is doing as the head and ruler over all things is that Jesus is building his church. That is the truth. That is the invisible reality behind the visible chaos in which the Ephesians found themselves. That is the invisible reality behind the visible chaos in which we today sometimes find ourselves. The Ephesians had a hard time seeing this. They had a hard time believing it. They, they were living at a time in which things seemed out of control, and it, didn't, it wasn't obvious to them that Jesus Christ was head over all things and that Jesus Christ was working in all things to build his church. And I think that for some of us, it's hard for us to see in our own lives, especially when things get tough, challenging, difficult, when tragedy strikes. It's hard for us to see that Jesus Christ is head over all things and Jesus Christ is building his church. I think even here in this church community at Lemon Cove, 
It can be hard, I imagine, as you think about Pastor Ian being called to Carson City, and as you think about the future, and you're wondering who's the next pastor that God is going to bring here, it can be hard to keep sight of that truth, that Jesus Christ is head over all things, and that what Jesus Christ is up to, what he's doing, is that he's building his church. I think some people here today have a hard time grap- uh, you know, grasping that because it's hard to believe that Jesus is really Lord of all. Some of us have a hard time. We look at the world around us and say, you know, how could Jesus possibly be Lord of this? How could Jesus possibly be the head of a world that looks the way our world looks? So some of us have uh, trouble because of that. Other, others of us, um, some people here in this room, you know, you have no problem conceiving that Jesus is Lord of all, but the problem is that you have a hard time believing that it's really for you. You have a hard time believing that God can take any notice of you in the broad sweep of human history and the work that Jesus is doing. It's hard to see this truth. We need our eyes to be opened, don't we? We need the Spirit of God to open the eyes of our heart. But I just want you to imagine with me for a moment, what if we really believed that? What if we really believed and lived as though Jesus were Lord of all, and in the midst of all that is happening, what Jesus is doing is building his church? I I think, for example, what would it be like is if every time you looked at the headlines on your phone or your computer or your TV or newspaper, at, for each headline you read, your first reaction was, ah, oh, Jesus is Lord of all, and Jesus is building his church. That would revolutionize everything, wouldn't it? That would be a completely different orientation towards life. What would you do with that knowledge if you really had it in your bones, so to speak? In, in chapter 4 of Ephesians, Paul is going to go on to say, so live in a way that is worthy of that truth. Don't spend your life chasing after powers and authorities and dominions. Don't spend your life running away from powers and authorities and dominions. Live a life worthy of that truth, that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, and that Jesus' number one priority is to build his church for his glory. My question for you this morning is simply this. What is your priority? Are you living in pride, which means that your number one priority is yourself, right? Um... Or maybe you're living in idolatry, meaning that your number one priority is something else other than God. Sometimes we chase after things that are not God because we're attracted to them or dazzled by them. And so they're our priority in our life for that reason. Other times, we prioritize things that are not God because we're running away from them and we're afraid of them. But those are both um, kinds of idolatry. Or are you living as though the only things of lasting significance in this life 
are the church of Jesus Christ and its head, Jesus himself. Now, it's a simplistic picture because in some areas we're one way and in some areas we're another, and there's probably more areas of us that we can even keep track. We would have to have the eyes of our heart wide, <laughs> wide open to live like this all the time, wouldn't we? But I, I just want to invite you this morning to ask yourself, is there some area of my life in which I am not living as though Jesus Christ is Lord of all, and I am not prioritizing his church and his rule? Is there some area of your life this morning that you could even surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ? I want to end with one final thought, which is simply that we cannot open our own eyes. Paul does not write to the Ephesians and say, come on, you guys, get your act together. I want you, this is the truth. Can't you understand it? Come on, try harder, figure it out, right? No, Paul says, I pray that God will open your eyes, that he will give that spirit of revelation. If you are moved by, in any way, by the truth of what God has given us in Ephesians this morning, if there's something in here that resonates with you, if, if you're noticing those areas of your life in which you have not come totally to grips with the fact that Jesus is Lord of all and is building his church, then I just want to encourage you this morning that that's the Holy Spirit. That's the work of God through the ministry of the word in your life. That's not something I can do. That's not something that, uh, that you could do or anyone else can do. If the eyes of our hearts are going to be opened, it is God who will do that by his power, by his might, which is truly for us. So let's, let's just end by praying for that together this morning. Powerful and mighty God, you have made the risen Lord Jesus Christ to be the head over all things. Nothing can stand against the King of kings and Lord of lords. And yet we cannot see or understand the reality of your rule unless you first open our eyes. So be thou our vision. O Lord of our lives. Let everything else be nothing save you alone. May you and you only take first place in our hearts. We ask this through Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.